Welcome to Soulful Insights, conversations exploring the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. I'm Ruth Caterellis, psychologist, writer and performer. And I'm Rebecca Harris, author, psychotherapist and educational consultant. These conversations are based on our studies, observations and personal experiences. Take what resonates, leave the rest. Welcome to Soulful Insights, conversations exploring the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. I'm Ruth Caterellis, psychologist, writer and performer. And I'm Rebecca Harris, author, psychotherapist and educational consultant. These conversations are based on our studies, observations and personal experiences. Take what resonates, leave the rest. Hello and welcome to another episode of soulful insights. I would like to acknowledge that we are recording today on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Today we are going to talk about therapy and doing the work and we might start by um, asking the question what is the work and why do people want to do it? What is the work? I think the work of therapy depends on the person who's doing it. I think there are lots of reasons that people come to therapy. Sometimes they might be really clear. It might be, I want to work on my anxiety, my fear. I want to work on my relationship. Um, I've got stuff in my childhood that I've never looked at. I want to do that. Sometimes people come to therapy because they feel like they need to talk to somebody, but they have no real idea of what they want to do or what the work might be. They just kind of go, I'm lost and I need some assistance. And sometimes people want to come when they're in an okay place, but want to keep doing the work because they've found it helpful in the past and they're aware that there are some little, maybe little bits and pieces, some tendrils that they haven't quite uh, sorted or organised that they might want to explore a little bit more while they're in a place that's a bit more stable. Mm. So the work can be all kinds of different things and people can be called to it for different reasons. I'm curious about um, with your experience uh, how how often clients are coming in a moment of crisis or if not crisis, you know, um, a flashpoint in their lives? I would say that the first time somebody comes to therapy, it's pretty well always in a, from a place of crisis because they have hit something or they're in some situation or they're experiencing, and usually they'll, they will have been experiencing those emotions or those feelings for some time or been in that situation for a time. It's not something I don't think that people kind of go, oh, I'm having a feeling, I think I'll go to therapy. It's not an easy thing Mm. to go and see a stranger and arrive at their place of work, wherever that might be, and go, I want to talk about me. So I think it's almost always initially um, because of some kind of crisis. Mm. What would you think, Beck? I think that is really accurate and makes a lot of sense that first time. And if you've had a good experience, particularly if you've had a good experience with therapy, that you can be drawn back later times in your life, perhaps when you're not in a state of crisis, 
but more for some of those other reasons that you mentioned, like you might be going along okay, but you've just got a few little, a little, a few little rough areas or a few little tendrils, like you said, that you know you you want to follow. Yeah, and I think that those are the people who have been in therapy off and on over a number of years who just go, mm, rough edge here, just want to smooth it over. Maybe I only need to pop in for two or three sessions. Or for some people, the experience of having somebody that they see fortnightly or monthly to talk about what's going on for them in a place that is completely theirs is also a real benefit. And Mm -hmm. so if some people can afford that and uh, it's of benefit to their lifestyle or their sense of self or, you know, their ongoing commitment to their health, then, then sometimes that happens too. Yeah, and that sort of uh, that makes me think about that relationship, the therapeutic relationship, and obviously how utterly important it is. And it's not just that you can drop two people in a room and uh, know that that's going to work out. You know, that brings the question: how how do we choose? How does someone choose a therapist? How have you chosen in the past? Almost always with um, recommendations from someone, from a friend um, generally, which I guess is pretty um, classic, you know, when someone is vouched for, they feel safer instantly. And I guess I might, you know, look at a website or something or a logo even, like I'm kind of intrigued by that that idea, you know, how, what's the vibe? Okay. So the visual, how they choose to kind of visually represent themselves. Yeah. 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 And I might have, generally I'd have a conversation with them. And I think often times that's, that's put forward as an option, you know, a 15 minute sort of check each other out kind of phone call first. I think being able to check out or have a conversation, whether it's, you know, five minutes or 15, I think being able to actually speak with the other person that you're going to meet and get a sense of them, their voice, to be able to ask any questions that you might have of them, I think is really important Um, so that you do get that sense of the vibe and you've actually, you've met each other briefly before you actually meet each other and start doing the work. Yeah, I think... That is really, really important. And I think it's important to know too, like obviously um, for me being queer, that's really important to know that that's going to be okay because even in this day and age it's not always. It hasn't been important to me necessarily to have a queer therapist Um, and yet I'm aware that often that is really important for people and that um, I know people will wait a long time to see someone who's also queer and, yeah, having had that experience in the role of therapists seeing um, queer teens, that's been pretty fabulous mm. and that that was really uh, something that for those young people, each of them clearly identified that that was really important. So things like that might be relevant to people and particularly I guess if you're someone who lives with some kind of structural inequity like 
homophobia or transphobia or racism, it could be potentially really important to um, to have a therapist who understands that. It seems to me, in terms of what you're, you're saying, that it's important to have some point of maybe not commonality but a sense that you are aligned enough so that there is a starting place from where you can then kind of expand the therapeutic relationship. It's never been important for me to have a queer therapist either and I had two attempts at therapy when I was in my late teens, early 20s, both of which were disastrous and one was a queer therapist. So I think for a while after that I didn't want to see a queer therapist. But I think having some some sense that, yes, absolutely, that you are going to be met with somebody who is open-minded, somebody who is emotionally open, somebody who is going to be receptive to whatever it is that you're bringing to the table is really important. And so those conversations, I think, are incredibly important. And it might be that you have a session with somebody or two sessions with somebody and then go, "Mm, this isn't right for me. And then it's perfectly reasonable then to just go, yes, sorry. Yeah, I think it's really important to do that. And whilst being kind of aware about what is it, it's not being feeling challenged isn't necessarily a reason to say this isn't going to work out between us, but feeling um, a lack of connection, then that probably is an important message to bail and, and start again. Though I think it's always a really good thing, I mean, you bringing up the notion of being challenged as a reason I think it's always a good idea to go, what isn't working for me? Is it that I'm confronted? Is it that I'm bailing, literally? Like what is it that's being brought up in me or is it really that there's just no connection, there's no simpatico here and I don't really want to tell this person anything because I don't feel like I, I don't feel like their reception of me is comfortable and I think that absolutely. There are so many therapists around and I guess – We all practice in different ways, according in lots of ways to our personalities. And so I think it it is about finding somebody who has got some points of of connection, if you like, with you, which is why it is good to – I'm thinking about psychology today. Mm. So if you advertise on there or if you're seeking a therapist on there, you can look for certain points of connection, whether it's the kind of therapy that the practitioner practices or whether it's are they comfortable with things like non-monogamy or are they comfortable with sexuality or gender? Do they have experience in grief and loss? Do they know much about anxiety? You know, what are their specialties and how are they aligned with what I'm looking at? And I think that kind of takes us back to, so what is the work? What do you think the work is? Yeah, I think about the way that what I think the work is has been described kind of over the years and all those self-help books and um, personal growth. I'm thinking about words like that that are little catchphrases and um, have moments in the sun. But actually it is personal growth, you know, and self-help. Something about um, I think I I do keep coming back to the word growth and when when I reflect on periods that I've spent in therapy that I've felt have been really powerful growth is what I think about shift change maybe a little but growth in particular so yeah I think that's sort of the the key thing that that comes for me and I think it's 
fundamental, really, because you don't want to walk into a therapist's office and two sessions, 10 sessions, 50 sessions later, still be in the same place that you were. You want to have grown and you want to have changed. And I think the work has been different for me at different points of my life. So when I first went to therapy, I was a mess. I had a food disorder. I had substance issues. I was emotionally, I couldn't hang it together at all. I was incredibly self-hating, very self-destructive. And at that time, I really needed somebody to, I guess, shine a light for me that there was some way forward. I couldn't see it at the time. So that's really what I was looking for. And as I said, the first two therapists I saw, no way. In fact, they both made it worse for me. And then I found somebody who was recommended and, you know, I would say that she pretty well saved my life. At different stages, you know, I've gone back, been in a relationship and wanted some couple therapy or I've kind of gone, all right, there's something still gnawing and gone back for a different reason. And I think growth has become much more... I think my, my first experience of therapy wasn't about growth, it was about survival. And as the journey goes and, and the way I see therapy these days, for me it's much more about freedom. And for me that's the lens through which I practice therapy too. If somebody comes in, generally it seems to me that they are wanting freedom from something, whether it's a state of mind, whether it's a habit, that they recognise is in their way, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a rut that they're in, but they want movement forward out of something. And so I feel like I think that for me is probably the strongest motivator that I see. Having said that, what a client wants to be free of is entirely up to them and that depends on where they're at in their journey. And, it's yeah, it's interesting thinking about that word freedom because I think we think about freedom sometimes as getting away from something but actually in therapy I think so often it's integrating something and that that you know you said shining a light like it's insight and then integration and I think often people come to therapy with symptoms of something and they might think they know what it's a symptom of but through that insight often and this is was absolutely my experience it's through the insight I was able to identify what my symptoms actually were symptoms of and then to integrate early experiences that were traumatic so that it wasn't about getting away from my feelings or behaviours, it was about something a little more subtle than that perhaps. It was um, definitely a sense of freedom, but it was freedom from trying to escape from those difficult and uncomfortable feelings based on early experiences. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I think freedom for me is freedom from anything that gets in the way of me being or living the life that I want to up to a point. I might not be able to 
change some of the structures in society that exist that I might not agree with or some aspects of the consensus reality. But what within my ability to control can I be free from so that it doesn't stop me being who I want to be and doing what it is that I want to do? Absolutely. So that makes me think about, you know, often in my mind, what I'm thinking about is freedom from suffering. So it's not it's not saying I don't want to feel fear, I don't want to feel anger. It's about saying how do I experience those feelings that are very human and essential without suffering with them. Absolutely. And, you know, how do I embrace them? I mean, my anger tells me something, my sadness tells me something, my grief tells me something. Any emotion, be it expansive or constrictive, that's expressed or felt purely is liberating because it gives you that insight. And through that insight, that's when we grow and that's when we change. So, you know, maybe that thing about what is the work with all that we've just said, it seems to me that it's about a shifting of consciousness. As you said, I might arrive at therapy, and I certainly did. It felt like to me a state of, I know I'm in pain, but I'm not really conscious of what and why. Mm. And so being in that space... When all of those areas come to light, where you start to understand why, what happened, where you're at now, what it is that you want to change, and all of those shifts in consciousness become incredibly important because, I mean, I think, you know, fundamentally, the more we know ourselves, the less reactive we are, and the easier it is. Life's not easy. It has ups and downs, but it can be easier if we recognise the kind of habitual responses that we have to certain things and can step out of those patterns that trap us. And that is so much, I think, so often the role of the therapist too is with a different relationship to what you have with anyone else in your life and a little, um, what is it, distance or space, maybe space around, around it that often a therapist can spot patterns that you yourself can't spot, which is always, you know, I find that insight so um, interesting sometimes when you're like, whoa, yes, so obvious. And yet it's not <laughs> because you're just living in it. Absolutely. Well, it's forests and trees, isn't yes, it? You know, exactly. When, yeah. when you're right inside it, it's not always easy to see. And the difference, I guess, with um, depending on the type of therapy you're doing too, but the, the talking about it, or the um, experiencing it in that therapy room, often, you know, it's the client themselves that sees the patterns too. It's not necessarily the therapist who has to point it out, but there is, yeah, something very magic about that space that exists between two people that is where things emerge and where things exist and happen that doesn't exist when you're on your own or when you're just thinking about it yourself or, you know, there's really something there. So, but thinking about that, what, how would you describe the role of the therapist? Well, it's interesting to hear you say that sometimes it's the client themselves that comes up with the awareness of the shift. And I think ideally that's true. And I think it's often the therapist's role to guide a client sometimes in that 
direction. And I guess we do that by asking questions. Not always, but often, you know, like we might say, Mm, that bit was interesting. Can we go back there a little bit? Tell me a little bit more about that. Or I'm really curious about that thing that you mentioned there. I'm a very emotionally focused human. And so I always narrow in on the affect. Um, So if there is a live emotion in the space, that's where I go because it tells me something. It gives me information. So I think you know, you spoke about that partnership and it really, it is a dialogue, which I guess is why having some compatibility is so important because you want to have a dialogue with somebody else. If they are going to support your process, you want to have a dialogue with somebody who can speak the same kind of language or can speak in a way that you understand. If you see the world too vastly differently, you can't meet each other I don't think in a way that's sufficient to help the person who's in need. So, you know, what's the therapist's job? Um, There are lots of things about does a therapist self-disclose? How much does, you know, what are the issues about boundaries in therapy? You know, what do you want to look for in a therapist? And so there are lots of questions around that. I think therapeutic boundaries are really important. I think it's really important that a therapist doesn't cross them Clients might try sometimes Mm -hmm. and I think then it's the therapist's job to be able to hold those boundaries in a way that's gentle and kind and I think in terms of things like self-disclosure, I will sometimes tell something out of my own personal life if I feel like it is relevant to where the client is if I'm trying to make a point. I don't do it often but if it feels relevant for that moment, I trust what comes in and I just go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, same same with me. And it's uh, interesting that it, I find it doesn't actually occur that often that I think that self-disclosure will be useful for the client in the moment. But then if it does feel like that's what's going to be useful for the client – then what a great tool to have at your disposal too. Uh, And I guess that's what it comes down to, doesn't it, is it's in therapy we are both there for the client. And so that's, you know, an important element when it comes to the role of the therapist and self-disclosure and boundaries and all those things is everything is in service of the client and their therapeutic journey And it's a very useful, important, and um, hopefully fairly instinctive, you know, yardstick to say, this is an opportunity for self-disclosure. Is it in service of the client's therapeutic journey? Yes. Go for it. Absolutely. Because it's not about, I'm going to tell you something funny that happened. It's about, is there something that you're grappling with and, and I was thinking as you were speaking that I probably use it more often in relation to my kids. And it will generally be because I'm working with a client who's beating themselves up about, you know, parenting. And so, you know, on that level, I might say, hey, you know, we are human. We are not perfect. I'll find sometimes clients will ask questions too. And I will be selective about what I answer. But I think having the client at the focal point, and it made me think about different kinds of therapy, you know, but having a person or a client-centred therapy is absolute because otherwise the equation is not helpful to the client. Absolutely. And that client-centred or 
person-centred approach is just, it seems to me so clear and so obvious, but it's not how all modes of therapy work necessarily, is it? And there, there's really manualised therapy that, you know, has a certain number of sessions and certain type of progress that's very different to that client-centred. I will sometimes get a client ask me the question of how, what, what does therapy look like, you know, and we might talk about different styles that could be brought into therapy, but my answer is often I don't really know until I've met you because therapy looks different depending on who you're working with and what their needs are and what they're identifying as where they want to target. And somebody might, as you said earlier, come in with a narrative, come in with a story, this is who I am, this is what I want. And you might find that actually that that narrative isn't, you know, I, I might challenge that narrative. I might go, hmm, are you sure about this? Let's have a little bit of look at, you know, sometimes that narrative might be about I'm a really negative person or I'm a really angry person or my partner tells me I'm a really angry person and I want to change this. And sometimes you'll kind of go, I'm not sure that that narrative actually holds up. Let's, let's explore that a little bit. Mm. Sometimes clients don't want you to challenge their narrative and sometimes clients are desperate for it. So, again, it really does depend. Yeah, and so that's interesting to me. What, what do you do if you feel you're with a client and you don't feel like the work that you're doing together is actually helpful to the client but they want to continue and don't want to be challenged? What does that mean for you as a, as a therapist? It's a great question, Beck. I think the way that I work and the way that I see the world, it's almost impossible for me not to challenge something that I want to challenge because otherwise there feels to me like there's a, a level of inauthenticity that's operating. If a client is coming back to see me fortnightly and they're still talking the same narrative or the same story or the same scheme as whatever it is that they're holding in their head, and I'm seeing something different, even if they've kind of gone, no, I don't want to, my question would be, well, then why are you here? Mm -hmm. And why are you here with me? Because if we are going around and around in the same story and the same pattern and nothing is changing and we're not really prepared to do anything differently, then the question has to be asked, why are you here? What is it that you really want? Because if you really want change... You have to be prepared to do something differently. And if you're not, then you don't really want change. Mm. And so then what's the payoff for, for coming back week after week and spending your well-earned cash on a session that doesn't serve you? So I would be breaking that up. Mm. It's um, making me think about I think one of the most significant moments I ever had in um in therapy as a client was having a therapist say to me um, something along the lines of, you know, that's a great story. I can tell you've told it a lot of times before, but I'm not actually that interested in it. <laughs> and it was really significant because yeah. it, it, it um, shone a light on something that I wasn't aware of consciously was that, yeah, I can be a great storyteller, but there's no feeling in it, which means no connection if it's just a story and yeah that was a, a very long time ago and it has absolutely stayed with me and um 
yeah, heart, perhaps a little harsh and a little challenging, but I was totally up for it and it was, it changed me. And I think the fact that you were up for it is a credit. Um, it does sound like it might have been able to be delivered a, a little bit more gently, but but I think that point is sometimes clients do come in with a story. This is my story. This is what I believe about me. This is what I believe about the world, but it's not making me happy. And then I think the therapist's role is to say, well, all right, what what is it about the stories that you're telling or the way you're living or the beliefs you're holding that are actually not serving you? Because if they're not serving you, maybe it's time to get some new ones. Yeah, or it's like you were saying before, when you're focused on the emotion, then you catch something that perhaps the client's not even aware of. So that in the sharing of whatever it is that they're sharing, when you say, hold up, go back just a little bit because I felt something or I saw something or, you know, you emoted or there was something that's where you want to go and that's not what happens out in the world in general, conversation generally. We get very used to skating over the edge of emotions, kind of I'm going to speak really quickly now and tell my story so that I don't actually get caught in any of those little potential potholes that are there. Mm -hmm. But I think part of our job as therapists is to try and help our clients identify the potholes because to go back to your idea of change or to growth, if the potholes stay there, then throughout your life, you're much more likely to step in them. You might even know where they are, but if your belief system or your patterns haven't changed, you're still on some automatic or unconscious level going to step in them. And I guess if we as therapists can help clients go, that's a pothole, it's there for this reason, how do we cover it up? How do we set about making it maybe to start with just a little bit less deep? Hmm until we get to a point where actually now that pothole really doesn't exist. Yep. That sounds like um, the work, the road work. <laughs> the road work. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm conscious when I, when I talk about therapy that I am an idealist also. And I think sometimes as therapists we also have to be really conscious about where we set a bar if we set a bar. It's not really our job to do that. Clients might come in and say, I want to do a centimetre and we can see a metre there. But where we need to focus is that centimetre because if it's really led by the client, then that centimetre might lead to two or three or four. But if we expose the metre, they're out the door. And I think that's something that I've learned over the years. The process of therapy and of being a therapist, we are all works in progress. We are all hopefully getting better and doing better. The more we learn, the longer we practice. That's right. It's, we're all on a journey. And I think that, that for me, and I know for you too, is really important that the therapist isn't the expert, isn't there saying, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you or tell you how to fix this problem, that it's a journey that you go on together and that that as a client-centred therapist is really honouring and acknowledging the client is the expert in themselves but more to be a participant alongside 
in the journey to hopefully shine that light, bring that insight and support um, growth and integration. And in that process, I think sometimes there are moments where we do go, I'd really like to encourage you to do this or to not do this, or we do set homework. What would it be like if you if you did this for a week or try these things? Because again, essentially we are trying to encourage different ways of being if the ways that they are being is not working for them. Yep. And, you know, it's the things that we do in our own lives. You know, if I'm banging my head against a brick wall, I'm hoping that at some point I'm going to stop. And it is playing that role a little bit of the helpful friend or that um, positive and encouraging and little bit challenging voice that by experiencing that in the therapy room, that it's something that gets taken out of the therapy room and integrated into just into life and into, into daily life. So I guess that's where the benefits of things like um, bringing that little bit of challenge or that bit of homework or something is about starting to bring those things, whatever, whatever it is that the client is practising, into their daily life. And I think that does become important. Um, I had a, a question from a client that was around, you know, what do you do or how do you do ongoing work post-sessions? And, you know, within therapy sometimes we will become a voice of a particular kind, you know, hopefully a nurturing voice, an encouraging voice, even if it's challenging. Sometimes I'll have clients say, I heard your voice in my head. And ideally what you want is for their own voice to take over that role and maybe they've mostly had the negative ego or the negative parent voice, for one of better descriptions, in their heads being critical and harsh. And ideally we do, we want to provide that space to go wherever you're at is okay because you can't be anywhere other than where you're at. It has to be okay. So how do you make peace with where you're at? in order to be then able to move somewhere different. And so as long as we can offer that encouraging, supportive voice, then yes, hopefully after that, the client starts to do that for themselves. Yeah, that's right. And I think um, that's the therapeutic relationship. And if the, um, you know, I really like the phrase therapeutic presence as well. So that's the role of the therapist to have that therapeutic presence to create that caring, nurturing and a little bit challenging therapeutic relationship that then hopefully the client ends up having with themselves. When it comes to the type of therapy that a therapist practices, it's interesting to note that the evidence suggests a therapist is either good and effective therapist or not. And the type of therapy they use is much less relevant. But having said that, people might have a preference for one thing or another, though I suspect many, many, many therapists actually use a more integrated model where they might bring in narrative therapy or cognitive behavioural therapy or emotion focused or depending on their client what tends to happen is something like cognitive behavioural therapy 
gets results and so more money goes into it. So there's more results, so more money goes into it and we end up with this lopsided perspective that there's one way of doing things. I think that's true and I think that sometimes we might start after our training being a little bit more specialised but I'd hope after people have been practising for some years that it does become much more eclectic. Yeah, and look, there are definitely some types of therapy that are particularly aligned with some types of issues like um, disordered eating, for example, might have particular results using particular types of therapy, but but it's not it's not that cut and dried either, is it? I don't think it is. I mean, I think CBT has um, traditionally been used very strongly within food disorders, but I think with CBT there are some techniques that are great, but the emotional component is essential and CBT doesn't really include that. I mean, I will sometimes use CBT techniques. I'll give somebody homework for a particular reason or look at intrusive thoughts or, you know, managing certain things. But as a pure form, I think something that doesn't include emotion is problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And you, But you can also, as a therapist, have an idea about things that you think are really helpful and work like... Um, you know, mindfulness, for example, and then uh, you work with someone who just says, I'm not doing that. And okay, you have to pop that tool back in your toolkit, regardless of how effective you think it is. So I guess if we were going to sum up, you know, doing the work really does depend on what you believe the work is, what it is that you want, where it is that you're at, and In terms of looking for a therapist, I think too, you know, what are the qualities that you feel that you need in a therapist in order to feel safe and to be able to say whatever it is that you want to say? Do you need a therapist who can see you at the same time weekly or fortnightly? Do you need a therapist who is flexible? Do you need a therapist who is challenging or, you know, what is it that you need? Is there a particular kind of therapy that you would like to try? Do you want to try somatic therapy and find out more in terms of your body? I think having a think about all those things before you go looking is is really great if you can do that. But um, that might give you a bit of an idea and a bit of insight when you are scrolling through psychology today or looking at someone's website Um, But it might also be the case that you're not entirely sure until you give it a go. So fair to say that, you know, we've talked a bit about what the therapist's role is. And I think as someone potentially heading into therapy, I would say that perhaps the role of the client there is is to show up. To show up, absolutely. And also to be prepared to do the work, whatever you feel that the work is that needs to be done. And it's not a bad idea to have an idea of what level of work you're prepared to do as well and then to find the right therapist to support that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, absolutely have a conversation with the person, even if it's just to get a feel and then trust your instincts. Trust your instincts, yep. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Soulful Insights. Follow us for more content. And feel free to reach out and let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear on a future episode.